0: I used to be of the view that if you were a clinician and you had a patient who was trying to quit, but was using both cigarettes and e-cigarettes, then you should tell them to quit both. Well, that's that's probably not what I think is best practice. In most of our studies of any nicotine replacement products, there's a big quit rate on the quit day, and then it's relapse, and it's downhill from there. Whereas with e-cigarettes, the quit rate increases over time. Dual use of both cigarettes and e-cigarettes are part of the normal process.
1: Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Often on this show, we have the inglorious task of sharing research findings that purport to show negative health impacts from nicotine vaping or findings that claim deleterious social effects, such as increasing youth use of e-cigarettes or worse, that vaping is a gateway to smoking. The sheer volume of negative research can be overwhelming. But as we reported last year, there is a concerted effort underway by prominent public health researchers to highlight better balanced research that is grounded in an honest appraisal of the relative risks of vaping versus smoking. Joining us today to discuss this effort and some of the good news out recently on vaping is Dr. Jonathan Folds, Professor of Public Health Sciences and Psychiatry at Penn State University College of Medicine. Dr. Folds is a trained clinical psychologist and has spent most of his career developing and evaluating methods to help smokers beat their addiction to tobacco. He was a founding member and vice president of the Association for the Treatment of Tobacco Use and Dependence, and has testified to FDA on behalf of the Society for Research on Nicotine and Tobacco regarding regulation of nicotine replacement therapies. Dr. Folds, thanks for joining us today on RegWatch. Nice to meet you. First off, it's a question we like to ask, you know, a lot of our first-time guests. Is there a battle being waged within public health over nicotine vaping?
0: Well, there's certainly a difference of opinion in our field, um, and some of those opinions are strongly held. Uh, I don't know if I'd call it a battle, but there, there's a, there are arguments on both sides that are, that, and, and, and uh, it's continuing to be
1: a, a, a debate. What do you think lies at the heart of the discord?
0: Well, I think it's partly because our field, tobacco control, I consider myself part of that field. You know, has a history of, of opposing the industry because in, in our history, the industry has been the cigarette industry. And I think um, it's taken some, some parts of the field a little bit of time to get, get their head around the idea that, that in the evolving industry, some of the products that they are making are competing with cigarettes and are themselves meaningfully and significantly less harmful than cigarettes and that if if we can allow those less harmful products to compete with cigarettes that ends up being a a win for public health
1: tell us some more about your background what attracted you to research on tobacco and health
0: i originally trained in the uk as a clinical psychologist and uh, i did my PhD at University of London with the, the kind of famous research team on smoking at the Institute of Psychiatry in London, Mike Russell, Martin Jarvis, uh, and I worked with uh, you know, Robert West in the UK. They were the, amongst the pioneers on early research on nicotine replacement products, you know, the medicines to help people quit smoking. Um, so I, I got into the field that way by doing my PhD with them. And I think the thing that got me kind of heavily involved in uh, tobacco harm reduction was uh, I I was invited to to give a talk in a World Health Organization organization meeting in in, uh, Scandinavia. And, uh, you know, I presented a review of the literature and basically said that, obviously, smokeless tobacco, as used in Scandinavia, snus, is significantly less harmful to, to to users than cigarettes are. And at the time, I I didn't think I was saying anything controversial. I, I just thought that would, I was naive and I was young. <laughs> I thought that was like a, an obvious statement. Um, but because the meeting was in Scandinavia, there's a lot of people from public health in Sweden there. And even though that's really quite a public health success story in Sweden, um, they, they kind of almost violently opposed what I was saying. So it got me thinking, well, wow, what's that reaction all about? I better read more into this and make sure I'm right and and that kind of thing. And uh, myself and some colleagues published a a review paper in Tobacco Control on that subject, which again proved to be controversial. And I, uh, I don't know what was wrong with me, but I couldn't see what the controversy was. Um, so, I, that, because it, I ended up being involved in this debate early on, it, it got me um, kind of dragged into to focusing more on tobacco harm reduction, although my initial, my initial career and inclination is really just to help people to quit smoking, to provide treatment. But, uh, you know, over time, the policy side and the regulatory side has really become very important, and that's what most of my
1: research is on nowadays. Do you think the policy side and maybe even the research side skews more to the side that is apprehensive around safer nicotine products?
0: Well, I mean, I've been in the U.S. for 20 years now, and we've had FDA regulation of tobacco products for for more than 10 years now. And so I I see that part of it as being basically trying as much as possible to be regulating based on the scientific evidence. Now, I know some people watching this might say, might take a gulp (laughs) when I say that, because it it has been very, uh, it's been a rough time for regulation of e-cigarettes, you know, to to this point in time. Um, But I I see that that's very much the the aim and that's the ethos. Um, And uh, although we may feel that, you know, those of us who believe that e-cigarettes have a lot to offer in terms of lower, delivering lower harm products, switching people from cigarettes to reduced harm products, uh, and 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 yet so far most of these ho- products look as if they're going to end up being banned. Uh, I've, I, I still believe that in the long run, the evidence is going to speak
1: for itself. In terms of being, you know, for the health, you know, the health benefits of vaping as opposed to smoking.
0: Yes. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, most of the people in the field, you know, I'm talking about researchers and public health people, I think most people accept as a fact that on an individual basis, use of an e-cigarette is much less harmful than use of a cigarette. You know, and then I, the, you know, the, the NASM report of the, you know, National Academies of Science Engineering, Engineering and Medicine 2010 it, it made that conclusion um and and i think even that you know those at the other side of the argument would would admit that is when it gets into the more kind of nuanced arguments or even the public health communications about it that we we, we differ you know and and obviously the big issue in the united states and in some other countries is is the effect on kids and how that gets weighed against the effects on existing smokers we may switch.
1: Dr. Fold, is public perception poisoned over vaping?
0: That's a good question. Um, it's I certainly been um, tarnished. Um, you know, we're, we now know that there, are, there have been multiple studies uh, over the last decade, both in the United States and in other countries like the UK, showing that um, public perception of nicotine as, as on its own, uh, you know, finds that the public overestimate the harmfulness of nicotine. Um, and not only is this true of the public, it seems to also be true of qualified medical doctors, uh, the majority of whom believe that that nicotine causes cancer, for example, and other smoking-caused illnesses, when, when, when the science is that that's not actually true. Um, in fact, if you compare some of these studies, it seems like the, the the public on some measures are more have more accurate knowledge on that than the medical doctors, which is very concerning. The other part of it is is that over time, the public's perception of the harmfulness of nicotine and very closely related to that, the risks of e-cigarettes is is getting more uh, inaccurate or less accurate over time. So so that is a concern, but um, I. I do believe that it's possible to, to correct that. Um, uh, I, unfortunately, you know, the, the, you know, as, as you know, you work in the media, you know that if it bleeds, it leads, and so it's very hard to get stories into the media, into the public perception, and say, "Hey, e-cigarettes not as harmful as people think. Hey, e-cigarettes less harmful than cigarettes." That's that's hard to get
1: out, there. Well, wouldn't it be easy for public health, you know, public health officials to get that message out? Because currently, this makes me think, right, is if there is misinformation that's going out there about vaping, you know, uh, companies that produce vaping products, companies that retail vaping products, advocates of vaping products, were very limited in their ability. You can't go out and buy national advertising. You can't go out and put a full-page ad in the New York Times. So official kind of traditional ways in which you can market and get message out industry advocates retailers can't do that it seems that the only avenue to official established press is through public health so doesn't that then point to you know where the problem lies
0: yeah I, I, and i believe that i agree with that um i i do feel that uh, the fda uh, who has a larger budget for communications has a role in correcting the existing misperceptions. I do believe that they could do a better job of that. Um, you know I, I think we have to sometimes as well as criticizing FDA and other public health colleagues, we have to put ourselves in, in their shoes. So you know part of the a large part of the media budget for, for FDA is trying to tackle the increase in youth use of e-cigarettes. You know, the 200 in 2019, it was about 27 percent uh, past month of use, um, and so and and that there's no way that that's going to be considered acceptable. It's, it's gone down in the last couple of years, but I, I, if I was in their shoes, I would also see it as part of my job to, to focus on reducing e cig use in youth. Um, I, I, but I believe that once that that's under control. And once we have uh, a bunch of e-cigarette products that are authorized by FDA, then we we may see a kind of, what I would think of as a normalization of mass media messaging from FDA and from other public health organizations. That's why I hope.
1: Now, I mean, there are certainly a few products that FDA has granted uh, marketing orders for, um, as under the PMTA process, no, they're pretty much big tobacco products. Most of them are unpopular and they're all tobacco flavor only, uh, but at least with the granting of those orders does come some ability for the companies themselves to make some kind of statements with regards to their products being appropriate for the protection of public health.
0: Yeah, so but I, think, I think you're actually quite correct in the way you, you put it earlier that the companies themselves are going to be very limited. And what they can say, very limited, and they're. I think they're going to be quite cautious about that if they're wise. Um, they're not, and you know, they're they're being regulated very similar to to the way pharmaceutical companies are limited in what they can say about their products, uh, maybe even more limited. Um, so I think there is an onus on on some of our, you know people in public health to try and do our best to get the truth out there. I mean that's actually the reason that I decided to at last actually use Twitter. I I had consciously avoided that because it seemed like it was a you know a, a source of misinformation and frankly a lot of nonsense. But you know there came a point like a, a year or two ago where I thought there's so much misinformation out there you know and I feel it's part of our responsibility to try and correct it to try and get just the results of the science out there. Uh, so, so that even if, we, even if we only have 10 followers, at least we've done something to, to put the, the truth out there and correct the misinformation to some extent.
1: Well, certainly your uh, Twitter feed is very active. Uh, we've actually got some tweets uh, from you that we're using in today's show. Let's jump into some of the things that you've been talking about um, in your feed and, and some of the research that you've worked on and that has come out by others. In the last year, because I mean, it's it's pretty exciting that it does feel like that some movement is being made within the public health side. That a real concerted effort, whether it's you know Dr. Kenneth Warner and the people he's working with, and Abigail Friedman, and then of course the folks in the UK. There's there's a consistent push to try to get you know more balanced research out there. So let me just ask, uh, just so we've got it kind of on the record, in your professional opinion. Are nicotine vaping products a viable option for smokers who are seeking to quit?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, the, the evidence is clear on that. We we um, just this year published a, a paper uh, based on a trial, a randomized controlled trial. that was actually for smokers who did not plan to quit and they were randomized either high, medium or placebo nicotine e-cigarettes or a cigarette substitute that didn't involve an electronic device at all. And it was for smokers who were interested in using a product to reduce their smoking. Um, And we found that if they were given a a, a device that delivered nicotine uh, similarly to a cigarette, then it did reduce their exposure to toxicants from their cigarettes, even if they used the the e-cig in conjunction with the cigarettes. So what we call dual use. Um, but one, one interesting finding that was not really what we were doing the study for was that the people in that high nicotine ESEG group, as the trial went on, became more likely to quit, significantly more likely to quit. Now, the quit rates in this study were not high because it wasn't even a study designed to help people to quit smoking. But by six months later, the, the smokers who were randomized to that High nicotine e cigarettes, about 11, 12% of them had quit smoking completely. Whereas for the people not randomized to an e cig or randomized to a placebo e cig, it was between 0 and 3%. So, that in itself, you know, that that shows that e cigarettes that can deliver, you know, importantly, it's not just any e cigarette. An an e cigarette that can deliver nicotine uh, efficiently and, and in the same ballpark as a cigarette. These ones gave slightly lower, but in the same ballpark as a cigarette. People who were not even planning to quit smoking were more likely to switch completely to the e-cigarettes. So that's it, that's one kind of trial. And I I actually feel that the the the, the things that the people in that trial were trying to do, uh, and the e-cigarettes they were given, it made the trial actually not dissimilar to the way many people first try vaping. They're they're inquisitive they're not making a big concerted quit attempt like they might use you know a, a medication for the, they've heard about them and they want to give them a try and they want to reduce their smoking and, and see sometimes want to see if it's a magic bullet and they can just switch to it or or just to see if it can help them reduce and so I think I think the kind of people who are in our study and the, and the outcomes were actually quite similar to people who try e-cigarettes in the first place. Um, slightly different from people who try a quitting trial or a medication trial, who really want to quit smoking. Um, so it was reassuring that we got that, that effect in that trial, um, and that can be added on to the other kinds of trials, like the one that Peter Hayek did in the UK, where it was almost like people who are coming to a smokers clinic, and they were randomized to nicotine e-cigarettes versus nicotine replacement therapy plus counselling. And in his trial in the UK, the people who, who, who were randomized to the e-cigarette, again, were about twice as likely to quit smoking a year later. So when you add those studies to other studies um, and you look at, say, the Cochrane review of all the evidence, yeah, it's crystal clear that e-cigarettes can help smokers
1: to quit. So if there's so much evidence to that effect, how come it seems that, that this cessation issue is a point of argument within within public health? Well, I
0: think that's because, you know, so, some people in the field have a bad feeling about e-cigarettes, right? They're concerned about the numbers of young people who are, who've, who've, who are using them. They're concerned that there may be uh, negative effects on health that we don't know about yet, because they've only been around for 10, 15 years. Uh, and and we, we know, you know, people have been in the field a long time and 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 can remember the days where we didn't really know how bad cigarettes were, right? You know, if you look at the, the history, and so I think I think people in our field have a bad feeling, <laughs> not necessarily based on on evidence, but they're they they're requiring a, a lot of convincing before they say, yeah, these things can have a positive effect, and so they look for the potential negative things, like well, we don't we, we don't know the long term effects, that kind of thing, or or. Other arguments we hear as well that was a those were trials and people and uh, who who really wanted to quit, which our trial wasn't. Are those are trials and people who got lots of visits and lots of appointments, which all clinical trials pretty much are, because uh, you're trying to collect evidence and biomarkers and questionnaires. You need to see people frequently. So they look for um, basically an argument to say, well, it's not it's not cut and dried yet. Um, when when I think if you look at the evidence as a totality it's pretty clear. And it's really not surprising. These products, they're not quite the same as nicotine replacement products, but they work the same way, they deliver the same drug. They just deliver it in a way that's a little bit more like smoking. So it's really no surprise that smokers can transition to e-cigarettes more easily than they can to the patch or the gum.
1: Yeah, in our coverage, obviously, over the last seven years, we've covered a lot of examples in which public health seems to look to dismiss uh, the positive benefits of e-cigarettes and certainly around cessation. It sounds to me, sounds to me that they're a bit suspicious. It's suspicious thinking.
0: Yes. And, and, and it, I mean, it, it is true that as of right now, we can always, we don't have the answer, well, what's the effect of 40 years of use? You know, we know that like it typically takes decades of use of cigarettes before you see lung cancer. Okay. We don't we ha- these haven't been around for 40 years. So so some people are kind of reluctant to to, to say, oh, we're for these, we should give them a green light. Um, but all you know, we have to use the best evidence we have available. It's really clear that the the number of toxicants that e cigs deliver and the concentration of those toxicants is an order of magnitude. It's so much less than cigarettes. Um, and you know, the dose is uh, the thing that delivers the, the harms that turn into serious health effects. Um, you know we know that from cigarettes and we know that from general principles of toxicology so it, it would be really really surprising if products that deliver fewer toxicants and much less of these each toxicant it would be really surprising if they didn't deliver less harm down the line it would be bizarre.
1: And wouldn't it be fair to point out that if the technology and information that we had today, we had it in the 1950s, we would have been able to figure out that combustible cigarettes were deadly pretty quickly.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, people who have been in this field a long time, they look back, they were around at the time when public health uh, decided to say that, you know, low tar cigarettes were less harmful and that turned out to be a mistake. So it's kind of like trying not to make the mistakes of the past. In my opinion, it's actually making the same mistake in a different way because e-cigarettes are nothing like light cigarettes. Light like cigarettes, e-cigarettes del- that can deliver the same amount of nicotine as a cigarette, there's no need to suck harder, there's no need to get more of the bad stuff because they can deliver it, the nicotine, which is what people smoke for, with much less toxic exposure. And, and that's why they're they're bound to be less harmful, in my opinion. And that's what the evidence is more and more starting to show. Um, I, and we've got more and more kind of like, I guess I would say for me, I would say courageous studies like Peter Hayek in the UK, they just published just last week, a trial of e-cigarettes for smoking cessation in pregnancy. Like, which is a, a pretty, pretty brief study to try and do, even from the perspective of trying to get pregnant women to even try these products. It's hard enough to even get pregnant women to to use nicotine replacement products like the patch. But the studies of that, the results of that study were uh, very reassuring. More women who used e-cigarettes in pregnancy quit smoking, in actual fact, and also the the women who who were randomized to the e-cigarettes were less likely to have uh, uh, give birth to, to offspring who who were below a normal birth weight. So that's that's one of the kind of kind of most basic signs of harm caused by a tobacco product. That the uh, pregnant smokers o- more often their their their, uh, their babies are small for for their uh, small than they should be. Um, And and that was less the case for e-cigarettes than for nicotine replacement. So it's all all kind of quite reassuring in addition to the fact that they were more likely to quit smoking.
1: And I've got up here an article from The Guardian, which is not known to be a very pro uh, e-cigarette paper. Uh, And it's pretty startling. E-cigarettes are as safe to use as nicotine patches for pregnant smokers trying to quit. and may be a more effective tool researchers have revealed. I mean, that is just startling.
0: Yeah. And it's not, let's be be very clear here, this study in itself is not going to mean we should go out and recommend pregnant women vape. I mean, this is a study for women who hadn't been able to quit already without using a product. Um, But it it, it does um, provide a lot of reassurance. It provides yet more evidence that e-cigarettes Helps smokers to quit, uh, even when compared to another effective product, the nicotine patch. So I I think, you know, over time, I think the evidence is gonna become more and more clear uh, that e-cigarettes are are less harmful than cigarettes, which is already pretty clear, and that they they can help smokers to quit and transition to a less harmful product.
1: I'd like to jump back to um, the paper that you mentioned that you're a co-author on, which, which was talking about dual use as it's one of yep. the most mentioned issues by vaping critics. We hear it all the time. So it, when it comes to dual use, I mean, what is the true issue here? It feels a little bit like that these researchers don't understand the way in which smokers, the process in which they normally quit. I think that's true. Um, and I think, you know, if, if, in the study that we just published
0: about quitting, what, what we showed was that with, the, the smokers who were randomized to the high nicotine e-cigs. They didn't just quit smoking the week after they were given the e-cig. Uh, in fact, they weren't even asked to quit smoking at any point in the study, but they gradually transitioned, they gradually reduced, and they they, they eventually quit. More so if they got a high nicotine e-cig than if they got a placebo or, or no e-cigarette. And, and I think we have to recognize that the kind of smokers who try e-cigarettes, they're not quite the same people as the ones who try a med or go for counseling. Um, They're a little bit more hesitant, uh, they may be more dependent, or they may be more aware that for them they get some kind of benefits, perceived benefits from nicotine, and so they're less willing to give it up completely. Um, And so it's a different model, Um, and I think, as you just described, that that model isn't. You pick a quit day and you switch completely on that day. It's far more common that it's a, a more gradual process, and what that means is that you know in our study, it took six months before the most of the quitters had quit, and so they're going to count as dual users for the whole of that time. Um, and I used to be of the view uh, myself, you know, and this is coming from a background of doing research on smoking cessation with nicotine replacement and other products i used to be of the view that if you're a clinician and you had a patient who was trying to quit but was using both cigarettes and e-cigarettes then you should tell them to quit both right because it wasn't working and and you know these data from these various studies have convinced me that well that's that's probably not what i think is best practice uh, i think what what's better practice to say well, you should focus on quitting the cigarettes and using your e-cigarette more, or maybe using an e-cigarette that delivers nicotine more efficiently than perhaps the one that you're using, um, and and you know cut down and uh, you know uh, and keep trying until you, you make it, because not everybody makes it all at once. Um, but these studies have 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 shown, and not just our studies, there are other studies, some of the ones published by uh, some of the companies. Uh, like, like, uh, quite large population studies of people using dual, again, show that people don't just buy the product and pick a quit day and quit. Uh, and in, in most of our studies of any nicotine replacement products, there's a big quit rate on the quit day, and then it's relapse and it's downhill from there. Whereas with e-cigarettes, the quit rate increases over time. It's like quite a quite quite a different pattern. And I think we have to accept that dual use of both cigarettes and cigarettes are part of the normal process
1: well that's that's big news because all the time we hear in a way in a way it's framed that you're doing more damage to your body and to your health by dual using than if you were to just use one or the other like if you're going to dual use then you're hurting yourself
0: yeah so and it's tricky because you know, all the studies, they focus on a different population trying to do a different thing. And so it's important to be clear that the studies that we published were studies for people who were not trying to quit, but they, they did want to reduce their smoking. So these are people who, who were trying to reduce their smoking and were willing to use an e-cigarette whether it was, and they were randomised to high, medium or, or, or placebo or, or a cigarette substitute that wasn't an e-cig. Um, so that may be a different population and might have a different outcome from people who are not trying to reduce. So we, we have to be careful. And there, there, there are a couple of cross-sectional studies. There were good studies who compared uh, people who'd switched completely to e-cigs, people who were smoking, people using NRT on its own, and people who were using both cigarettes and e-cigarettes, dual users. And some of those studies did not find reductions in toxic exposure in the dual users, okay? And they, and it, 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 they may have been people who had decided they were gonna keep smoking, but they could use their e-cigarette in situations where they were not allowed to smoke and top up. And so that's the concern from public health. That if, if many people just did that, it, it may not produce any health benefit, and it may actually keep people smoking for longer. Um, and so what ultimately we have to decide and look at based on the evidence is what, what are most people doing? Are most people trying e-cigarettes and then using both e-cigarettes and the same amount of smoking as before? Or are they using e-cigarettes and either quitting or reducing gradually over time, which is, which is a net benefit? And, and my uh, interpretation of the evidence is, is that on average people who try e-cigarettes and give them a decent try, I don't mean the, the many people who just give it a quick, you know, just out of interest I'm going to, you know, somebody, a friend gives them a, a cigarette like, to try for the weekend that's going to make no difference, no harm, no benefit it's really, it's nothing but people who really try and use it to reduce or to, or to quit, on average the evidence suggests that that's more likely to result in a benefit or no effect, very unlikely to result in any harm.
1: Well, there's certainly the phenomenon of becoming an accidental quitter.
0: Yes, yeah, and, and, and I think it's something that, again, it doesn't, and from what I've heard, talking to uh, eSig users and, and doing research, those people who, who would say they're an accidental quitter, it wasn't that they, they, they bought an e-cigarette, they tried it and they just accidentally quit on day one or day two or day three. It was much more common that they tried an e-cigarette, they thought, oh, I like this, but it's, it's not quite hitting the spot. I'm not convinced I can switch to it and they'll, they'll dual use for a while. Then they'll try another one and at some point they'll hit on an e-cigarette that actually delivers like, you know, it hits the spot, it delivers a bit like a, a cigarette, and maybe it has a flavor or some other characteristic that suits the individual. And then over time they say, you know, I just like this as much in my cigarettes. I may as well give up the cigarettes. And then that might take a month or, or
1: six or, or longer. Um, but it
0: certainly certainly seems to happen. It seems to be a common
1: thing. And I think that's concern with all of the restrictions, banning, lack of approvals for the different you know variety of flavors and different devices and different nicotine concentrations because finding that that sweet spot takes some time and for a lot of people a lot of different variety.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so it's a tricky business uh, both for, for public health practitioners as as a large group or for FDA or for CDC as as organizations with sort of responsibilities uh, in this area to decide how to deliver the messaging and then, and, um, you know, we don't want to encourage people to do both for years on end and basically dabble with e-cigarettes and continue to smoke and feel that they're somehow making a big step in the right direction just because the evidence doesn't support that that really is. Um, uh, just as evidence doesn't really support that, you know, reducing your cigarette consumption from 20 a day to 15 a day probably doesn't make any difference. You just inhale 25% more from, from those 15. You know, you just compensate. So we never recommend that you reduce a little bit. But if you can really, you know, in our trial, we ask people in the first couple of weeks to reduce their cigarette consumption by half. And then the next couple of weeks, we asked to them to reduce it by by seventy five percent, and then we asked them to keep it at no more than that level, and allowed them to do whatever you know. We didn't. If you wanted to quit, fair enough, but we didn't really suggest it. We just let them do what they wanted to do. But you know, there is very unlikely to do any good if you just keep smoking, almost at the same rate and vaping at the same time. I think it, we need to tell people that it's probably not going to do you that much good at all. If you just continue to smoke about the same rate, you really need to try and allow your body to learn that it can get the same satisfaction from this other product um, by cutting down your smoking a lot. Uh, and, and then one day you'll really learn that I don't really need to smoke anymore. Um, and that's where you're going to get the health benefit.
1: The satisfaction of course, of smoking and vaping is the nicotine, But nicotine's been so demonized. Uh, So what's the potential for addiction of nicotine compared to smoking and vaping?
0: Well, that's a tricky one to measure. um, But we've been studying that for a while, as as have others. And the evidence in my eye seems really consistent that e-cigarettes can be addictive. No doubt about that. But on average, they seem to be less addictive than cigarettes. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that includes studies of, with different designs. So that includes studies where you take people who were cigarette smokers who switch completely to e-cigarettes, and you ask them to compare how addicted were you to your cigarettes versus your e-cigarettes. And it also compare, you know, looks at um, young people who've become either vapers or, or smokers compare the addictiveness that way, uh, and then looks at people in trials who, who switch to e-cigarette products. All in all, the, the data suggests that e-cigarettes are less addictive. Uh, now, the surprising thing is that some of the e-cigarettes seem to be able to deliver nicotine almost as efficiently as cigarettes, and so logically you might think, hey, these are probably going to be as addictive as cigarettes, but at least in the studies we've done, in the studies we've seen, even those e-cigarettes, like the five percent nicotine pod devices, that are you know efficient at delivering nicotine, they also seem to be less addictive. You know, in terms of the their scores and, and dependence measures, like the Penn State e-cigarette dependence index, for example, or other measures. And um, so you have to think, what is that? Why are they less addictive? Uh, and you know. Some people have suggested, well, maybe it's because there's other things in tobacco smoke that add to the addictiveness of cigarettes. Um, another possibility is that because people use e-cigarettes in a different way, that actually reduces their addictiveness. You know, so typically when people smoke a cigarette, they light the cigarette, they puff on it for five or ten minutes, you know, about ten puffs approximately, and you know they they've got to finish it and then throw it away. This is your one shot. The thing's on fire. And when it, at some point you've got to put it out and, and it's done. Um, with, a, with an e-cigarette, things are not, not on fire. You don't have to finish it and then throw it away. You can, you can vape it at any pace you like. And so what vapors tend to do, rather than be forced to take 10 puffs in, in five minutes and get quite a spike in your nicotine levels, all at once they just top up whenever they feel like it and I think it's you know consistent with our, with the studies of drug delivery and addictiveness that that pattern would be expected to be less dependence forming me fewer peaks and troughs and more just gradual satisfaction and gradual withdrawal relief in a less um, extreme way that you get from cigarettes.
1: Did I hear you correctly? is a Juul e-cigarette at 5% less addictive than an actual cigarette?
0: Well, I would say the, the, the evidence suggests that's the case. Uh, you know, for example, we, we've we done studies where we use the same questionnaire asking, you know, you know, when you're in a situation where you can't smoke, do you experience a craving, yes or no? Uh, how, how, you know, when you've slept overnight, how long is it before you want to use your product in the morning, which seems to be a good measure of dependence and things like that, that we know have a good track record of being related to addictiveness. We ask the same questions to vapors and to dual users and to cigarette smokers. And it seems fairly consistent that the scores in these measures are, are lower on the e-cigarettes users, including the dual users, as compared with the cigarette smokers. Now, you know, yeah, we have to kind of look at this carefully and think, well, that's interesting. What could be the explanation for that? So one thing is, most of the measures we have in smokers are on people who smoke for decades, right? And most of the measures on e-cig users are on people who vape for uh, six months or two years or five years or whatever, but it's not decades, okay? So it could be that over time, the, the dual users will become more dependent. But, you know, we we have been studying a cohort of e-cigarette users uh, for now, for coming on for almost 10 years now. And we've got their measures back then, we've got their measures now. And we don't see any sign that their, their scores are increasing um, over time. So that, that makes me less inclined to think that the reason for the lower scores and the lower dependence measurement in the e-cigarette users is thats is that they've only been using a short time and it will increase. Uh, it's more consistent to me with the idea that for, for some reason, e-cigarettes are, are just less addictive. And my all of my experience leads me to come back to, you know, usually it's the nicotine. It's the nicotine. It's something about the way they're absorbing the nicotine. So the truth is that most e-cigarettes don't deliver nicotine as efficiently, meaning as rapidly and as high a level as a cigarette. On average, most e-cigarettes don't. Some do, and some, you know, experienced e-cigarette users, they know how to find a device that does and how to use it in a way that they can get just as rapid nicotine as they got from a cigarette. Um, But... They tend not, on average, that tends not to be the way they use it because they don't have to. It's not like you know the average e-cigarette user has to go out in a smoke break and quickly inhale two two cigarettes worth, get their fix, and then go back into the office or wherever they work and abstain for three hours, and then their levels go down, and then they come out and they they really kill that cigarette and they get a big peak. That that is a that is a profile of nicotine absorption that probably enhances the addictiveness of the drug. Um, and and we know this from studies of other nicotine delivery products. You know, you don't see anybody addicted to the patch. Okay, why not? Because you put it on and the nicotine very slowly absorbs. So there's no behavior to connect your, in your brain nicotine effects with a behavior. They're totally separate. Whereas we know that Nicotine gum, some people become dependent on it, but less than cigarettes. And then the nicotine nasal spray, where you sniff up your nose and it's a bit faster. That seems to be a bit a bit more dependence forming than, than the gum and much more than the patch. Well, now we have e-cigarettes that are in the same ballpark as the nasal spray, maybe maybe even better, less unpleasant than the, the, the nasal spray. And it's no surprise that they are, um, a bit more addictive, but still less than cigarettes.
1: Well, speaking as a uh, dedicated nicotine uh, or determined nicotine user, I can say that you know a slow IV drip would be just fantastic.
0: Well, if only if only people said that about the patch, you know, we would life would be easier with with getting people to quit smoking. Um, but but most most smokers uh, who try the patch find that it does take the edge off their craving a bit. It just does reduce their withdrawal a bit, but they still have some craving, they still have some withdrawal, particularly the heavy smokers, and they wish they could top it up with something. And so that's why, you know, and the evidence on the treatment side is, you know, patch plus plus four milligram gum or patch plus uh, the nasal spray or another product that you can get a bit more when you need it is more effective. Um, but it's kind of expensive to be buying multiple products and, and many smokers, you know, who've tried those things and not, it's not quite hit the spot for them find that an e-cigarette does.
1: Dr. Folds, there's a 2019 paper that you co-authored titled What Low-Income Smokers Have Learned from Public Health Pedagogy, a Narrative Inquiry. Now, what I find fascinating about this is that it chronicles the history of tobacco control policies, the laws, the regulations, the pressure campaigns over a 50-year period. And it makes the point that the dominant societal discourse is perceived by smokers as hypocritical and has contributed to a, quote, distrust of the government, public health advocates, and health care providers. Tell us more about that. So, first of
0: all, I, I can't really take any credit for that paper. That paper was the brainchild of uh, Dr. Susan Veld here, who at the time was doing her doctorate, uh, and she was part of my team, and she's now an assistant professor here at the med school. So, and she was much more open to kind of qualitative methods than I was. I'm more of a quantitative researcher. But, um, uh, and, and I, I said, okay, that sounds worth a shot. But she really uh, was the brainchild behind that study. And I thought, I, I, at the end of the study, when I saw it written up, I thought, wow, oh, that's really neat. It really helps me and, and I think other people in my field to get the perspective of smokers. Hey, what have they learned from, from being a smoker for decades from public health and what has really rubbed them up the wrong way? So I, I really, you know, w- would recommend that people in, in my field, as well as smokers and e cigarette users, uh, do take a look at the paper. It's now publicly available, um, and to, you know, whereas before it was behind a paywall. Uh, but really, it, it showed that many smokers have just have kind of been rubbed up the wrong way um, and, and, and have lost their trust in public health along the way. And it really kind of underlines how important it is that public health, whether it's FDA or CDC or, or professors or clinicians, how important it is that we that we really tell our patients and the public the truth? That's more important than anything else. And and the ends the end never justifies the means. Uh, in terms of, we have to trust that we tell them the truth, uh, you know, and we do our best to guide them to do what we think is the, the best the best step for their health based on that truth it's much better than exaggerating the risks of things, or using scare tactics, sometimes exaggerated, to put people off. Um, I think that's one of the messages that came through from here. Because over time, you know, these people are using these products day in, day out for decades. They're listening to public health. They're hearing what their friends and colleagues say. And they, can, they become quite efficient bullshit detectors. And, uh, you know, in, in fact, if you, if you read the paper, there was a bit of salty language in the paper, It's one of the only papers I've been a co-author on that had that, because that's the way the, the people expressed their opinion. Uh, so I, I liked it, even though it's, you know, it's only based on a relatively small sample. I, I think it's a, a good paper for people in public health and interested in tobacco control to read, to just get a sense of how the field is perceived by, by smokers.
1: Let's turn to one of the parties that's involved in this whole debate that vapors have some suspicion of. And that's, you know, the nonprofit public health groups and this specifically the American Heart Association. Just recently, they put out a study um, in the journal Circulation that took a look at the impact of e cigarettes and traditional cigarettes on the heart. And inside the article, they post we did not find a significant difference in the cardiovascular risk of exclusive e-cigarette use compared with non-use of cigarettes and e-cigarettes, although analysis were limited by small number of CVD, which is cardiovascular disease, events in e-cigarette users. Now, to try to put this, what are they saying? Basically, they're saying there is no difference when it came to cardiovascular disease between smoking and the use of e-cigarettes. Do I have that right?
0: Yes, you, you said it correctly, you quoted their study correctly. Um, another part of the results w- was that they did find that e-cigarette users had uh, cardiovascular risks that were 30 to 40% lower than cigarette smokers. Um, you know, so that's what harm reduction is, where you use a less harmful product and you get less harm. So I, I mean, I, I on the one hand, I think we have to applaud the authors of this study, for doing the study, doing the research, and you know, and I know some of the people involved, and 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 I know that many of them are very sceptical about e-cigarettes, but they did the study and they, they they found they found that e-cigarettes were no more harmful for the heart and the cardiovascular system than than nothing, and less harmful than c- cigarette smoking. So I, I think we have to applaud them for reporting that honestly. Um, and it's when you come to the the um, framing, the headlines and the press releases, and this is a common theme in in this field that even when people get findings that they're not super comfortable with, uh, they report their results accurately, yet generally. Um, but some, when it gets to the press release, then there's a different spin put on it, and unfortunately, that was the case. They seem to, the American Heart Association seemed to bend over backwards to avoid what were the key results of the study, which was that e-cigarette use was less harmful than smoking and no more harmful than nothing.
1: So, Dr. Folds, overall then, would you characterize some of the developments and research in this area as trending towards more balance, uh, more good news?
0: Yeah, I'd say that the the evidence is trending towards greater clarity that e-cigarettes, can help smokers to quit smoking which is a good thing Uh, and it's a good thing because the evidence is also trending towards more solid evidence that e cigarettes are significantly less harmful than cigarettes Um, so that's why it makes sense to switch Uh, and the the more solid and the more clear that evidence is the more public health uh, practitioners and clinicians will feel comfortable and sharing that information because it's based on solid grounds. Um, and, and the more the public hears that, the more likely they will be to, to try that. Um, so I think that's all good. Um, I you know As an example of that, we have a group called the Cochrane Review Group who have a fantastic reputation for reliability in combining evidence and meta-analysis. And so over time, they update their review of e-cigarettes for smoking cessation about every six months and over time there are more studies including their their review and in over time they've become more um decisive in the language they use uh, to say that you know how clear it is and we're now at the point where it really is very clear uh, because we have so many studies trending in the same direction not every study gets a significant benefit and so what they do is they combine all the studies, some of which might be too small, to get a significant effect. And then it becomes clear when you combine them all. And so that kind of uh, meta-analysis is the strongest evidence we can, we can have, really, showing um, that e-cigarettes help smokers to quit and are less harmful.